If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I want to invite you to go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. It was a bit hesitant for me to read this because I know tomorrow night for Christmas Eve, as elders, we tend to want to read through the Christmas narrative. I try not to call it a Christmas story. I don't know if you've noticed. I always struggle with this as a pastor. I hate referring to things in the Bible as stories because often that gives you a connotation that maybe they're not real and everything in your Bible is real. So they're not stories. They truly are events, real events. And this is something that's true as well. When I look and read Luke chapter 2 for you, I just want to read the first 20 or so verses and then I want you to go to Matthew chapter 2. And we're going to look at the shepherds and the wise men. And here is the word of God. I once heard a great man who said, though, before we look to the book, let's talk to the author. And so would you allow me to pray one more time? Father God, as the author of your word, I pray now that your spirit that indwells me would be evident. That your spirit that indwells other Christians in this room would not be grieved or quenched in any way. That the spirit of you that your son sent back to earth after he ascended would now be alive and sensed and known in this place. And would you begin it by the living word of God read aloud. In Jesus' name, amen. Hear the word of God in Luke chapter 2. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And then suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. 
And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. You take your hand now and go back to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, this is now upwards to two years after what I have just read in Luke. Jesus was likely somewhere in two years old or so, a toddler. And Matthew wants us to know this. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east, came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly. And ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring, him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose, when they saw the star, sorry, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. And again, may God add his blessing to the reading of his word This morning, this morning for this Christmas, I want to talk to you on this last Sunday before we celebrate on Tuesday. My title is simply this Christmas. The time is now. The time is now. In his book, Dare to Believe, Dan Bauman illustrates the unique experience of knowing that something is ours and yet not having it yet or longing to enjoy it more fully. He explained in his book that at Christmas time, he would always do a lot of snooping. I don't know if your kids are at that age, parents, where you get the gifts, but then you have to wrap them and hide them, and your kids have now clued in that you're the one that gets the gifts, and so they know there's gifts somewhere in the house. I don't know, maybe some married couples have to do that as well. But he would talk about trying to find the gifts, wrapped presents, and figured out what was in them, not letting his mom know that he had discovered where she secretly hid them. And one year he goes on in his book to say that he discovered a package with his name on it, and it was easy to identify because there was no way to disguise the golf clubs inside. And so Bauman made this observation, which I think is fitting for us on December the 23rd. He said, when mom wasn't around, I would go and feel the package and shake it and pretend that I was on the golf course. The point is, 
I was already enjoying the pleasures of a future event. Namely, the unveiling. It had my name on it. I knew what it was, but only Christmas would reveal it in its fullness. Now, I want you to hang on to that because that's exactly what Paul had in mind when he wrote to the Galatians, a verse that I've read to you now for three weeks. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul said, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. And so I want you to reflect for a few minutes this morning the glories that await us as Christians defies our comprehension. Last night I watched the movie again that was written about Bart, uh, the lead singer of Mercy Me, and it's the story of I Can Only Imagine. And Debbie gets a laugh at me because I've seen that movie now several times and I still sat there and sobbed and bawled and the tears rolled down my cheeks as I thought again, as I listened to that song, I can only imagine what it will be like to come into the presence of God. And I want to ask you this morning, church, have you really thought about what all this stuff this Christmas means? What you and I are celebrating? What can we grasp about them? However, fills us with great anticipation. We look longingly to the day when we will enjoy heaven in all of its fullness. Amen? Don't you long for that day when your worship will not hit the ceiling? Have you ever noticed that no matter what kind of a concert you've been to, whether you've been to Handel's Messiah or our concert last week, or whether you come here and we just have one of those special times when everybody is refreshed and everybody wants to sing, and no matter how loudly you sing, no matter how amazing the, the music team plays or the choir sings, you just somehow realize there is still something better. And there is. Heaven. And when you get to be a part of that, that worship is the only worship that never hits the ceiling. It just keeps going. And maybe that's what Paul wanted the Corinthians to figure out. I don't know when he wrote 2 Corinthians. Maybe it was at a time when they celebrated Christmas. Maybe it was a time when they celebrated Easter. But remember what he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. But as it is written, What no eye hath seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Huh. Have you thought about all of that in perspective to Christmas? I began our Advent season by taking us back. Back to the announcements of God and the prophets. And you heard about it. In Luke chapter 2 and Matthew 2, for 4,000 years. Wrap your head around that. 4,000 years. Not 40 years. Not 4 years. Not 400 years. 4,000 with a T years. They foretold the coming of the time of Christ's birth and what kind of impact that that would have on human history. And then remember last week, we looked at making the main thing the main thing, or rather making Christ truly the main person in our lives. And our challenge last week was for us to see Jesus as Lord and as Savior. And as Lord and Savior, then to treasure him. And we've seen how the imminent birth of Jesus affected people like Zacharias and Elizabeth and Mary and Joseph. And God finally broke his silence after giving, are you ready for this in the Old Testament? 330 prophecies that are found throughout that Old Testament and then suddenly silence. 
silence. It seemed like generation after generation after generation would hear some form of vision or dream or prophet would come and say, Jesus is coming, God is coming, Messiah is coming, and then nothing. Complete silence. And God stopped talking to humanity for 400 years. Imagine never having a Bible for 400 years. Imagine never anybody speaking to you and saying, I heard from God. And yet, for those 400 years, God had never stopped working. He had never stopped being God. And the plan that he announced all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when he told the serpent and Eve and Adam that the serpent, he said, you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. And so then from that time onward, mankind was looking for deliverance. And for now, Christ was to be born. The time was now. And an angel and a star would announce his birth to the world. But church, have you ever considered this? Because we romanticize Christmas. Let's be honest. We've got far too many movies and now Christmas carols. And we come up and conjure these things. But would it really be a grand entrance? No. I've had the joy of going to Israel five times. And I go to this little place called Nazareth Village. Which is a replica of what the first century town of Nazareth likely looked at. And let me tell you, it is very plain. It is very mundane. They have a replica of what a home would have looked like where they would have probably had the birth of Jesus. And they have this home with these sod roofs and this inner court where they would collect all the animals, which is likely where Mary and Joseph were. They weren't in a cave. They were likely in this inner court. It's still dusty and dirty. It's not where the humans were supposed to sleep. It's where the animals were kept. And there were Mary and Joseph. It was very, very mundane. It was very plain. Well, you think the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, would be what the Jews or even the world was looking for? No. But it was exactly what the world needed. Someone wrote this, and we don't know who it was, but the person said, If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, so God sent us a Savior. Is that not beautiful? Is that not something to hang on to this Christmas? And maybe to explain my point further about this, of how God works different from our thoughts, I found a very interesting illustration of this found in history itself. Let me take you back to the year 1809. The international scene was tumultuous to say the least. Napoleon was sweeping through Austria. Blood was flowing freely. Nobody then cared about babies. But the world was overlooking some terribly significant births. Did you realize that in 1809, while Napoleon was grabbing the headlines, these were who were born. A guy by the name of William Gladstone was born that year. And William Gladstone was destined to become one of England's finest statesmen. In that same year, a guy by the name of Alfred Tennyson was born to to an obscure minister and his wife. And that child would one day greatly affect the literary world in a marked manner. On the American continent, Oliver Wendell Holmes was born in Cambridge, Massachusetts, 
And not far away in Boston, Edgar Allan Poe began his eventful, albeit tragic, life. All happened in 1809. That was also the same year that a physician by the name named Darwin and his wife named their firstborn son Charles Robert. And in that same year, produced the cries of a newborn infant in a rugged log cabin in Harding County, Kentucky. And the baby's name was Abraham Lincoln. That all happened in 1809. Now, if there had been newspapers and broadcasts like we have them today, I'm certain the words that we would have heard is, the destiny of the world is being shaped on the Austrian battlefield. Little did we know that history would actually be shaped in the cradles of England and America. And similarly, church, everyone thought taxation was the big news in Luke chapter 2 when Jesus was being born. But a young Jewish woman cradled the biggest news of all, the birth of the Savior. And this is what we need to hear this morning. On this last Christmas Sunday, you and I need more than ever before, we need to understand what the time is. We need to understand our time because the time is now, church. The time for us to respond to the news afresh. Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. Do you realize this? He came to earth in flesh to save us from our sin. For you little ones that are here, I want you to hear me Christmas, this Christmas. Remember, Jesus came for you. He came to save you and for you older seniors Don't let that just roll off my lips and through your ears. This Christmas, remember, Jesus became flesh for you and I. And if that's true, then how should we respond? No matter what your circumstances are right now. As I asked us all last week, will we treasure Jesus this Christmas? And so I want us to look at the shepherds and the wise men. I got a very simple outline, all right? You notice the first part in Luke chapter 2, 8 to 14. It's time to listen. So friends, how are you going to figure out how to spend Christmas this year? Then more than anything, would you make sure you realize that it's time to listen? In Luke chapter 2, we find shepherds watching their flocks by night. I don't know about you, when I was reading all of Luke 2, did you not hear the Peanuts song in the background? Did you not hear Linus playing the piano while I was reading that? It's almost synonymous with that as it comes to it, right? While shepherds were watching their flocks by night. But notice with me that the sheep are a fickle animal. I don't know about you if you've ever been around a sheep farm, but there's one thing about sheep. They're never quiet. They make noise. They make a lot of noise. They're constantly bleeding. They're constantly calling out. And they call out this, and plus, this was a time of census as we read. And so Bethlehem and Jerusalem are packed with people. So in the context of Luke 2, this is a busy, noisy, and likely, just like our Christmas time, maybe people are, tempers are short, things were in demand. You know, here are these shepherds and watching sheep. you got to realize that even at this time, sheep especially are uh, providing a, a valued commodity. So these shepherds are watching their sheep, but indeed, though, these shepherds are watching a providing of value, something that's needed. They're even desired. Sheep were a desired product. And even though they themselves, shepherds, are actually considered outcasts, lower society, unable to witness in court in the first century. 
In, in fact, I, I had a hard time. I, I hope I won't offend anybody. But to help you understand what shepherds were, even though they were watching over a desired commodity, they were looked down upon. I don't know if it would be similar to the way we would view maybe car salesmen. Car salesmen provide us a needed commodity, but often people think that car salesmen just tell you what you need to hear so you'll buy their car. Or maybe salespeople in general. Maybe how we tend to look at those who work at malls or maybe the dollar store. Everybody goes to the dollar store, but nobody wants to admit they go to the dollar store. There would have been noise everywhere. Yet at the moment that the angels appeared, notice these shepherds stopped everything and listened. Now you might say, now Steve, listen, anybody would have. I would, you would. Yeah, yeah, but would you? Be honest, would you? Or would we have tried to explain it away? If you literally had seen a dream last night or a vision last night, where the sky split and an angel spoke to you and then a host of angels said things to you, do you think you're coming to church this morning and saying, Pastor, listen, I know you got a great sermon, but you really need to give me the pulpit because i got something to tell. Or would you maybe fear that people would think you were crazy? Or that you'd had too much pizza? Or what it was? Especially if you weren't looked at as a person in high regard in society. That's not what these guys do. Our passage tells us they were afraid, but they did comprehend what was being told them. Remember what I told you last week? You see, the common Jewish person knew what the prophecy said, and they were looking for a Messiah. And these shepherds knew what this announcement meant. And while they were afraid, it still led them to peace and great expectations. Have you ever felt that combination of emotions? I have gotten to feel that in the last 24 hours. On Friday morning, I got to to go in, and after... Uh, Stacy had given birth. I got to wait in the case room, and so they wheeled her out, and, and they let me and, and Jordan and Abby go in there, and, and, and the nurse said, do, do you want to hold her? And have you ever not felt that, that great expectation and that great joy, and yet you're afraid because you could break her? Like, I, I had all of those emotions simultaneously. Right where I was great, full of joy, and I was full of anticipation, but I felt like I was holding the most fragile glass. And I was afraid that if I even breathed the wrong way, I could do something wrong. And so here are these shepherds. They're afraid. They've seen this, but they have peace now and great expectation. And did you notice in the passage, they're suddenly filled with an urgency and a passion and a confidence and an abandon. They didn't care who they were or what people thought. They only know one thing. God had spoken to them. And look at what he said. I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. For behold, this day is born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so it was a time to listen. Folks, this Christmas, Christmas 2018, can you be a people, join me, and let's be a people who listen to the Word of God. Let's listen to the Word of God. But notice, secondly, in verses 15 and 16 of Luke 2, It was time to obey. It's not only time to listen, it's time to obey. Did you ever notice how the shepherds reacted to this glorious news when the angels left them? Did you notice, first of all, look at verses 15 and 16. They talked with each other about it. I'm sure they must have done that. They must. did, Did you just see what I just saw? 
Did you, did you just hear what I just heard? Was, there was one, and then there was more than one, and he said this, and, and then they said that, and everybody was like, yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, I saw what you saw. I heard what you saw. And, and, and notice, they didn't say, let's go see if this is so. Notice in verses 15 and 16, they say, let's go see what we were told. They, they, there's not even a, a hint of doubt in them. The miraculous has happened and they believed it. Now listen, Calvary, listen. God invites us in 2018 to remember miraculous did happen and we still need to believe it. Amen? That's what you and I need to believe. God cannot lie. Hebrews tells us that. So we need to simply believe and have faith. faith. But notice as well, they instantly obeyed. They listened to what the angel said and the host said. And then they obeyed Matthew Henry, that old pastor commentator. I love what he writes. He said, they lost no time, but came with haste to the place, which probably the angel directed them to more particularly than is recorded. In other words, go to this particular place in this such an inn, and there they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. Matthew Henry goes on to say, the poverty and meanness in which they found Christ the Lord, notice in the passage, was never a shock to their faith. For they themselves knew what it was to live a life of comfortable communion with God in very poor and mean circumstances. He says, we have reason to think that the shepherds told Mary and Joseph of the vision of the angels they had seen and the song of the angels they had heard, which was great encouragement to them, more than if a visit had been made them by the best ladies in the town. But what I'm most fascinated about what Matthew Henry writes is when he gets to his application, he says this, and it is probable that Joseph and Mary told the shepherds what visions they had had concerning the child, and so... By communicating their experiences to each other, they greatly strengthened one another's faith. Oh, church, listen, if you get anything this Christmas, I loved hearing Jennifer pray what she did in her offering. I love how our church cares for each other. Oh, that that would be a constant reality of our gatherings. You see, this is meant for us. These shepherds came and they said, Mary and Joseph were here because an angel said this. And then a host, and then Joseph and Mary said, really? Joseph probably, I had a dream. And Mary said, this angel named Gabriel came to me. And then I went and visited my cousin. And when I walked in, the, her baby leaped in her womb. And all of these things happened. And does it not remind you of what the writer of Hebrews said in verses chapter 10 and 23 to 25? Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Church, this is what you and I have to get excited about. That You know what? When God does something for you, I, I know we, we laughed because it's comical. It's not easy to talk about flushing a toilet and not getting a smile. But were you not all... I heard it in your voices that you could hear how that had blessed and challenged Jennifer and thus it blessed and challenged us, Yes? And that's what happens when we share these things together. Whether they're good or they're bad or they're ugly or they're great and exciting, we come together because we need to sympathize with each other and we need to empathize with each other and we need to care for each other. And we do that here together in community. And so we gather together 
And I ask you, I want to ask you to consider a couple things as we celebrate Christmas this year. Do you, do we believe that now is the time for us to obey and trust God and his word? It's a Christmas gift to have you here, Mary. But I want you to think about this. If that is true, because I don't think any of you are sitting there going, no, no, Steve, now is not the time to obey God's word. I don't think any of you have that thought. But if this is true, will we obey the very verses I just read from and risk ourselves in friendship and community to love each other and encourage each other and even challenge each other to trust God and his word? Oh, may this Christmas and this new year coming be a time that we run together, not from each other. And if you and I, if you and I will do this, I want you to watch what happens next because it was a time to listen and then it was a time to obey. But because they listened and obeyed, now it was a time to worship. It was a time to worship. Don't ever forget what Luke is trying to point out to us in his gospel. He is saying uh, basically 24 chapters of this. Jesus is the Son of God. That's why he writes this entire first part of his two-part documentary being Luke and Acts. Thus, he starts the Christmas account. Did you notice it in Luke 2, 1? And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And often you'll read that verse and you just rush right by it so you can get to the Christmas narrative. But why did Luke start this way? Now, here's where reading a whole gospel helps you. What's Luke trying to tell us? Well, you need to realize that Caesar Augustus was the Roman emperor and all of his subjects referred to him, are you ready, as savior of the world. That's how he's referred to. He's referred to as the savior of the world. And so for Luke, watch this now, he begins his saga that would begin with a man who claims to be the savior of the world versus a baby who was announced by heavenly host as the savior of the world. And think about it. He ends the gospel with Pilate and now a grown Jesus discussing who is the real king of the world. And it ends in chapter 23 with a Roman centurion saying, truly this was a righteous man. Do you see what he's done? Do you get the big picture? This is why these verses are here. Notice the difference between the kind of worship that the shepherds offered and the wise men offered with Herod the Great. Do you see the difference? Notice, we often say that Christ's birth was announced to shepherds and to the wise men, and to a degree that was true. But Herod, an Edomite who married a Jew, who was a puppet king of Rome and a descendant, by the way, of Esau, he was told, and then he called his spiritual advisors. They're the ones in Matthew 2, if you notice, that actually read Scripture and said, thus it is written. Okay, he's the one. They knew where the Messiah was to be born. So even they know something was going to happen, yet they all reacted very differently. And that kind of reminds me of another great Christmas tradition in the West. How many of you have already watched once A Christmas Carol this Christmas? Anybody? How many of you have watched A Christmas Carol already once? Anybody? I, I, I see a hand. I, I see that hand. All right. How many of you likely will watch it before Christmas is over? Now, I see a few more hands, right? It's it's almost like a rite of passage. If you have kids, they're likely going to watch a Muppet Christmas Carol or that one, that animated one that Jim Carrey did or whatever. But it'll be on the television multiple times for you to watch. 
Have you ever really thought about it? Because there's one scene in particular in A Christmas Carol that really catches me. In the one, the first ghost, the ghost of Christmas past, has come and paid a very disturbing visit to Ebenezer Scrooge. It has really shook him here. But do you remember what happens as he wakes up the next morning? Or that in the middle of the night? He, oh, he's, he's shaken from it. He's scared. Remember, he pulls back the curtain that's wrapped around his bed. And he looks out and he hears every creak. But what does he say? What does he say? Bah humbug. It wasn't real. Just a little bit of last night's undigested beef. See, a vision to be taken to heart or simple indigestion. You tell me. So I ask again, church, where are you this morning? When you are faced with the miraculous, do you truly believe or are you simply curious but never committing? In fact, for Herod, he believed only to the point of being self-serving. Have you ever thought about that? Herod only saw Christ as a, as a rival, never as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so he did something that would cause so much hurt that the wailing of moms could be heard all the way to Jerusalem. You see, for Herod, Jesus was simply a competitor that needed to be eliminated. And can we sometimes in the 21st century use Jesus as simply our piggy bank? A comfort blanket when we don't feel good about life? Are we tempted to look at Jesus as a means to an end and not the end? Not for the shepherds and not for the wise men or Mary or Joseph. They all listened and they obeyed and they worshipped the newborn king. Did you notice all the different adjectives in Luke 1 and Luke 2 and Matthew 2? They rejoiced. They adored him. They prayed. They responded. And their, and their reactions were both external and internal. I love it. They adored him. Oh my goodness. If in, in the English language, we are so loose with our words, especially our adjectives. Because we can say... Oh, come let us adore him. And then we can go to Wendy's. And if we get a really good burger that someone was really paying attention to, we can go, I adore this. Right? We, we, we need to be careful with our adjectives. They adored him. They thought of him and pondered him. They looked to him. They learned of him. And from him, they longed for him. And do these words describe us? And so they listened to him and they obeyed him. And then they worshipped him. But next... It was time to come to him. And we see that in Luke 2, 16 and Matthew 2 as well. Now, I don't know about you, but now let's be honest, because this happens to me every year. Why? Why did Jesus announce his birth to shepherds and wise men? I mean, have you ever really wrestled with this? Have you ever really pondered it? Because you have in these two groups the extremes of the social paradigm. One group of people, the downcast, considered the lowest of society. The next group, wealthy, wise, and yet obviously searching. What is Jesus trying to teach us as Luke and Matthew are trying to teach both a Jewish audience and this man by the name of Theophilus? Well, consider this. Consider that these two groups represent all of humanity. Every one of us is represented here from the lowest to the highest, from the smartest to the most ignorant, to the well-to-do, to the ne'er-do-well. To ne'er do, to God came to all people. 
For the Jews, when Matthew wrote, it was a lesson that Messiah was here to be received and worshipped by Gentile wise men. Do you know what a shock to the system that would have been? For this Greek wise man named Theophilus, Luke was teaching him that Messiah came to some Jewish shepherds who he would have looked down upon, by the way. And in both cases, the message is the same. Here it is. Christ loves us all, came for us all, died for us all, and in keeping with John 14, 6, is the only way we must all come. That's your Christmas. That's the gospel. That's the message God intrudes upon the weak and the vulnerable. And this is precisely the message that we so often miss. Especially in a very nice church like ours. You see, God does not come to that part of us that swaggers through life confident in our self-sufficiency. God leaves his treasure in the broken, fragmented places of our life. God comes to us in those rare moments when we're able to transcend our own selflessness long enough to really care about another human being. Or when we finally admit, I can't do it. I'm tired of acting like I've got it all together. i got issues. And I know something's missing. In my reading, and Eugene, you can appreciate this, because Eugene and I both have a passion for the wars of history. But on the wall of the museum of the concentration camp in Germany, Auschwitz, there's a large and moving photograph of a mother and her little girl standing in line to the gas chamber. The child who was walking in front of her mother does not know where she's going. The mother who walks behind does know, but is helpless to stop the tragedy. In her helplessness, she performs the only act of love left to her. She places her hands gently over her child's eyes so she will at least not see the horror to come. And if you visit this museum, when people come to it, this particular picture, they don't walk by it quickly. It is known that they pause and they stare at it. Many people have very emotional responses. It's almost like they can feel the pain. And deep inside, I think that they're all saying what likely this mother said, which is, oh God, don't let that be all that there is. Folks, that's the Christmas message. God hears our prayers and it is just in such situations of hopelessness and helplessness that almighty power is born and to answer, no, this isn't all there is. I am here. Look to me and turn to me and cry out to me and I will save you. Oh, that we could get this for the shepherds. It was about the joy of being included in spite of who they were. These men knew exactly what they were in society and yet God picked them to announce the birth of Messiah, and so they longed for him. And they were overjoyed, and I believe quite literally ran to see the child who would be their king and Messiah and Savior and Lord. But for those wise men, those magi, those Gentile guys, they were all about filling a void that money and power and friends and influence and form religion couldn't fill. These were not poor men. These were wealthy men, men of means, And when they saw that star, they followed out of curiosity. And I believe they followed out of desperate hope. Hope that comes from having and knowing. They had things and they knew stuff, but they still sensed that they weren't safe or that something wasn't right. 
And you can see it in their question in Matthew 2 when they said, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? Maybe they were thinking, maybe this one can make sense out of our lives. Have you ever wondered that? Who will make sense out of my life? And yet, consider this. When they found him, they discover a simple toddler in a modest home. They don't see a grand king on a throne. He's a toddler. Now, folks, we had toddlers in this room for about 40 minutes. And you know how interrupting and noisy they are. Would you and I enter a home of a toddler and bow down and worship him and give him expensive, lavish gifts and not only worship him, but say, this child is the savior of the world? But it is where you and I need to be today. Discarding any thought of ourselves and in great humility falling down and worshiping the king of glory. And I can only ask you, do you know him? Have you listened to him and obeyed him and worshiped him and come to him? And then for this year, this Christmas in 2019, it's now time to tell. Off Michelle was here, I I know she'd probably break out and go tell it on the mountain again, Luke. Remember what it says? Look at Luke chapter 2 again. And when they heard it, they made known abroad, abroad, the saying that was told them concerning this child. And all they had heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. And you come to the end of Matthew 28 when Jesus tells his disciples, Go ye therefore into all the world and acts as he ascends. He says, You shall be my witnesses after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so we're told to go and preach and proclaim and witness. Why? Why are we to do that? Because the time is now for us to do that. See, Jesus tells us to go and tell because we've experienced something. Now, I want you to look at this verse on the screen again that that Steve's got up there. The shepherds glorified God and praised him. And what did that cause them to do? A deep desire to share. Look at it. They made known abroad. And they didn't let their status keep them from joyfully telling anyone what God had done. You see, if you've been saved by God, then you want to tell others about it. This is my burden. This is my challenge for us as a church this Christmas and this coming year. Where is the urgency and the passion and the joy that comes from knowing God? And notice, notice for a philosophy of witnessing, notice they don't go around telling folks that they're sinners. Did you notice this? They don't go and say, stop doing this or stop doing that. They go around and tell people what God had said to them. They tell them what Jesus means to them, how God and Jesus has changed them, what the Spirit of God is doing in them. And friends in church, this Christmas and this coming year, let's go and tell others what Jesus means, what Jesus has done and is doing in our life, and then watch how God uses that to speak to those around you. You know the problem we have in a lot of witnessing today is we're trying to convince sinners to stop being sinners instead of being sinners who've been transformed into saints and then telling other sinners that Jesus wants to do that with them. That's what we got to start doing. And the biggest problem of why I think we're not witnessing and we're not inviting people out to church and we're not piting people into our lives is not because we're afraid of all the apologetics and how to answer all the questions. It's because deep down, maybe we're a little afraid That maybe don't, they don't see the change that we claim Jesus has made in our lives. 
So this Christmas, let's rejoice. Let's have passion and joy in the midst of struggle. Do you know what witnesses to people? Not that you whistle, it's a small world after all, and act like you've got no pain. It's in the midst of your pain that you still say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. Trust me when I tell you, when you walk through the junk of life and you cling to Jesus, a family member, a friend, a neighbor will ask you, a co-worker, a fellow student, why are you like that? Why are you like that? So here we are. Christmas 2018. You've heard the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary and Joseph and now shepherds and wise men and Herod. Tomorrow night at our Christmas Eve service, Brother Jeff is going to tell you about one or two others. But I ask again, what would you have done if you had been there? What would you have said? Would you have believed and obeyed? Would you have worshipped and listened and told? Yes, you say. Yes, Steve, I would have. Well, consider this as we get ready to close. What have you heard and seen this Christmas? Oh, you say, had I been there in Bethlehem that night, I would have seen, I would have understood, I would have known that it was Christ's child, would you? Well, here's a couple of ways for you to know. Ask yourself this. What have you seen this Christmas? When you've watched the 6 o'clock news, did you see chaos and strife? Or did you see sheep without a shepherd? When you went out to do your shopping, did you see only hordes of people in the stores? Or did you notice the worried expressions on some of their faces? Worried because they're facing this Christmas without employment or enough money to even buy the simplest of gifts or even food, and they don't know how they're going to make ends meet, especially into the new year. What did you hear this Christmas? Did you hear only the blast of music and carols, or did you hear the silent sighs of the lonely and the hurting who may be dreading Christmas because it accentuates their loneliness? And in the midst of the sound of honking horns and people arguing over parking spaces, and maybe even you participating in that yourself, Did you hear, perhaps, the faint sounds of laughter coming from a soup kitchen or a homeless shelter? Have you looked upon those wonderful Salvation Army officers saying Merry Christmas to a generous donor at the front of all those entrances? Have you furnished food and toys for families and children that are not your own? Or went and served with grace or love people that maybe smelled and wouldn't fit in your social circle? Or did you sit and listen to someone who's struggling with pain or even addiction? Or even your neighbor or your co-worker or your family friend? You see, all too often what you see and what you hear is not dependent on the event, but upon you. You see, if you and I did in fact hear the cry from the lonely or the laughter of poor children, if you saw the sheep without a shepherd, then and only then might you have noticed the events that took place in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago. And if you lacked that spiritual seeing and hearing, then you probably would have been with the 99% who were present who saw or heard nothing out of the ordinary that night. So in the end, perhaps one of the carols words it best. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls shall receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Amen.
See, Scotty Smith said it so well. Life between the first and second advents of Jesus does include mystery and messes, brokenness and multiple aches. But it also includes hope, real joy, and grace upon grace. So Calvary, listen, the time is now. Ephesians 5, 16 says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Paul told the Corinthians, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And so we are not to make a mistake. The time is now. And we should also be warned that the time is not without end. You see, God's mercy and grace are limitless, but not timeless. And we need to see as Christians that Christmas is celebrated each year to remind us that now is the time for salvation, but also to motivate us that time is running out. And for you this morning who may not know the Lord Jesus as the reason for the season, then my friend, he came for you to save you right now and at this time. And I close with this. Warren Worsby says, you cannot escape Jesus Christ. His birth affected Caesar's politics, the ministry of the angels, and the activities of common men. In that day, shepherds were looked upon with disdain, but God singled them out to be the first human messengers of Messiah's birth. His coming touched worshipers and even scholars. The angels sang about him, and he is still the theme of the greatest music. Luke wrote about him, and he is still the subject of the greatest literature. The shepherds hastened to behold him, and he is still at the center of the greatest art. Teachers listened to him and marveled, and he is still the focal point for all truth and wisdom. Friends, listen to me this morning, this Christmas. Jesus Christ, he alone is worthy of our worship. And so may I say, oh, come, let us adore him. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. And I pray once again that my friends, my family, my brothers and sisters in community here at Calvary will have heard a better sermon than I can preach. Lord, I thank you for Christmas. Lord, there's no doubt that this Christmas is special for me and my family. But Lord, I pray that Christmas will be special because of you. That I'll be overwhelmed as Jennifer shared how joyful and great it was to flush a toilet and yet how quickly that became just a part of her life. Oh Lord, help us to admit that often... From the moment we got saved when you were so fresh and new and we were so aware of our sinfulness and what you had done, that time and weeks and months and years pass and often we just start to get into routine and you don't be as special as we claim you to be. So this Christmas, may we adore you afresh and anew. And may that be carried with us as you give it to us into 2019. In Jesus' name, amen.